This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. This show is, in my view, up front, up close, and a blast from the past. 70s heartthrob Tony DeFranco and the DeFranco family from Port Colborne, Ontario, became overnight singing sensations with their smash hit, Heartbeat, It's a Love Beat, released in 1973. Tony DeFranco was just 13 years old. His talented siblings, not much older. They had moved to the center of the pop music world back then, Los Angeles, and rode the mighty wave of success with youthful vigor, landing guest appearances on shows starring Dick Clark, Sonny and Cher, Jack Benny, Mike Douglas, and Dinah Shore. Tony's image was plastered all over teen fan mags like Tiger Beat, giving Donny Osmond a run for his money. Young girls were swooning from the Pacific to the Atlantic. But suddenly the spotlight dimmed and the gigs dried up after just two years. So what happened and why? And where is Tony DeFranco now? Well, he's here with us in conversation. Welcome to the show, Tony DeFranco. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. So when you started performing as a family, the DeFranco family, you were actually the DeFranco Quintet. This was a while ago. Can you describe the kind of music and your feeling as a family on stage? Wow, we're going really back. So growing up in the Niagara Peninsula, my dad had all of us on stage, and we're originally the DeFranco Quintet. We would play various weddings, uh, local functions, local parks, and the type of music we did was mostly, I would say, a cross between um, some Italian music, some old standards, um, and then it transitioned slowly into started to, to include you know, pop music of that era, of that time. So when you became the DeFranco family and you became its lead singer, you also started to become a heartthrob. How did that sit with you at such a young age? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely a, uh, a mind bender because I was, you know, of all of, I think, 12 years old when the demos and my photos were sent out to Hollywood and um, it, it really was pretty much in a flash where you were just incognito. You're a little kid growing up in Port Colbrand and Wellands, Ontario. And next thing you know, people are approaching you and everybody wants a piece of you. And every little girl is, you know, fainting, you know, fainting over you. And so, yeah, for me, I, I didn't get it. I still wanted to enjoy just being a kid. Um, you know, play street hockey, whatever I, you know, whatever I did at that time, but it quickly changed and, and I had to adjust and get used to it quickly. How did your connection to Los Angeles actually happen? You talked about a demo tape and photographs. So it doesn't just happen by itself. What took place? So there was a gentleman named Ron Myers who saw us perform 
at a park, I believe it was in St. Catharines. So he approached my dad and said, hey, I think, you know, your, your son and the, the siblings have something there. Can I take pictures? Can I record some demos? And can I send it off to various record companies, et cetera? So one of the things that he did was he sent uh, some pictures of me to the publisher of Tiger Beat, which was uh, Charles Lawfer. Charles Lawfer passed it around. I believe it was to his editor, Sharon Lee, and various people that worked there. And the decision was made to, hey, let's fly them out to Los Angeles, to Hollywood. Let's meet them. Let's get together. Let's do a professional photo shoot. And um, I remember going to Mr. Lawfer's house, and we sang for him in his living room. Uh, and then they ran some test shots in Tiger Beat. And um, they went by the response. So in those days, you didn't have the Internet. And they went by the mail that came in. And they went by, used to have these big canvas bags of mail from the U.S. mail. And I'm sure the Canadian mail was the same thing. And they would have big, full bags of mail from little girls. And they're like, okay, we hit on something. And that's, it took off from there. So it sounds like demos and and singing for you know, the the boss or what, who would soon be ma- kind of taking care of you as a family group, but you right. hadn't actually recorded or released a single at that point, had you? No, we had not released a song, but what he did was he put us in the studio, um, met with various producers. We ended up going with uh, Walt Meskel, and we did four demos, one of them being Heartbeat. <laughs> so... Then they shopped it around to various record companies, and Russ Regan, the president of 20th Century Records, flipped out over Heartbeat, and he you know, had a long history of uh, making successes with, with various people, including Elton John. And so the word has it that he jumped on his desk and screamed, we have a hit record here, and you know, my memory tells me that with, within several weeks, we had a hit record. It was, it was booming, and it went quickly. Who was looking out for you? Where were your parents? And how much did you lean on your older siblings while all of this was going on? Because it sounds exciting, thrilling, but kind of crazy at the same time. And you're just a kid. At this point, you're just 13. Yeah. um, I think, you know, in, in hindsight, I think it was great that we all went together because you had the family core. <clears throat> I was so young and protected and, you know, compared to today's kids, pretty innocent. Um, so my mom, when we first came out, came with us. My dad stayed back in Canada for X amount of time because he wasn't sure what was going to happen and he didn't want to quit his job. Um, and so, you know, we had the core. We had the, the, the family, my mom, and we, we stayed tight. And then they briefly put me in a public school here, which didn't work out because it got, it got too much attention and it just created an issue. And so then they had to shift us into private schools. And the private schools, you know, without name dropping, but I'm going to, the private school that you went to, <laughs> Michael Jackson was there, Christian Brando, Marlon Brando's son, uh, Danny Bonaducci. Yeah. I mean, that that's pretty, it almost is a leveling of the playing field to have those people at school with you because you were a superstar, an overnight sensation in a way, but you had all of these other big stars or children of big stars at the same school. What, was, what was that like? Were you friends with any of them? 
I, yes, I actually was friends. Michael was rarely around. Um, uh, Danny Bonaducci was, was a crack up because he was, you know, just, I think, I think you know enough stories about Danny to, uh, you can fill in the blanks. But um, I remember telling him, I was watching him, and he was pulling into the school in his new car. And I walked up and I said, Danny, Danny, you never drive like that. He had his seat really close to the steering wheel and his arms were all bent. And I told him, you know, what to do. And then years later, I did an interview with him and he remembered that. Um, But yeah, so I jokingly, I would say I went to the school. It was relatively small. It wasn't a lot of kids, but it was, I jokingly call it celebrity brats and wealthy kids. And it was, it was an interesting time. I refer to myself as a celebrity brat because it was celebrities going there, but I, I don't never thought I was a brat. Maybe I was <laughs> a little bit, but uh, wealthy. Absolutely not. The, the wealth never came. How did you handle the fame and what, what was it like? What was a typical day like for you after you had a hit record? So there was a period where every day was filled um, from uh, going to the dance rehearsal, choreography studios, um, practicing with uh, various backup bands for when we were going to go on tour, then fresh photo shoots, uh, TV shows that we were booked on, radio interviews. Uh, So it it was always filled. And then when we were home, um, we, we just uh, relaxed as much as we could because in between we were working on with the producer behind the scenes on um, the next record and uh, vocalizing, et cetera. So, yeah, it was it, childhood and having fun was pretty much over. <laughs> <laughs> were you starstruck? You opened for Olivia Newton-John. You were a musketeer with Annette Funicello, Dinah Shore, Ethel Merman. You had uh, guest appearances on Sonny and Cher, Mike Douglas, American Bandstand with Dick Clark, woohoo, and also Jack Benny. Were you starstruck? Uh, I didn't know who Jack Benny was. But he was super <laughs> I understand. <laughs> and it was his second farewell special. And I'm like, I'm actually in my office now, and I'm looking at a picture of Jack Benny and myself on the cover of TV Guide, and we're both wearing matching jean jackets. Uh, Dick Clark was the the consummate professional, so we were on there numerous times. And, and if you were on American Bandstand, you made it. That was that was the show where everybody turned on and um, he just made you comfortable. So he, he put his arm around you, told you what he's going to do pre-shot. And he said, we're going to do this. I'm going to say this. So we're going to exit stage right or the camera's going to move over here. We go, okay, yes, Mr. <laughs> yes, Mr. Clark. And, <laughs> and, and on the show went. So yeah, he was, he was fantastic. Huge success. You're seen everywhere. You're heard everywhere. You've got hit singles. All of a sudden, the spotlight is dimmed. When we come back in conversation with Tony DeFranco, we're going to find out why and how he managed to overcome any of the insecurities that this brought on. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation, Tony DeFranco, the DeFranco family. What happened? Everything was going beautifully. You were 
had hit singles, you had uh, guest appearances, you were famous, you were popular, you were a teen heartthrob. What happened? What went wrong? <laughs> How much time do you have? Um, so, no, it's multi, I think it's multi-layered. What typically happens is most people that have a hit record never have a second. So we had uh, four top 40 hits, so I'm grateful that we got that far. Um, but it was a combination of several things. Once we had success, a lot of people started, uh, we had too many cooks in the kitchen. A lot of people started saying, you know, we want you to work with this producer. We want you to sing this song. Everybody was barking orders at everybody. Um, simultaneously, disco came out. And disco took over radio, and that was not our sound, although we did attempt to go into the studio and record something that maybe would, you know, make it, you know, have a hit as disco, but it didn't, it didn't stick. Um, and then from there, uh, we just, yeah, we lost the record deal, and we attempted, you know, to keep the wheels on the cart, and it just kind of faded very quickly. And, and, you know, unfortunately, that's the nature of the business. There's a lot of uh, dead singing careers laying on the side of the road. Hmm. And how is it that it didn't kill you, quite frankly? You know, you were what, at that point, maybe 14 or 15, and everything changed and not for the better. How did you, how did you get through that and not let it yeah, affect so you? At, yeah, at 15, 16, we were still performing, and then we, we got new management, and for a couple of years, we still did gigs. We still did live shows here, there, and everywhere. Um, but, yeah, it was difficult, and I think having the core family group to get through it certainly helped. But eventually I realized, and you know what, I, I don't regret anything in my life. It's all great memories. It's wonderful. Uh, if somebody said, if you were to do it over again, what would you do differently? And I'm like, well, it was so fantastic. It was a lot of success. It's memories I wouldn't trade for anything. The only thing that I would do differently, and this is not uncommon either, is to make sure we were protected contractually and financially. Yeah. And that's an age-old story in the music business, unfortunately. And did that have a lot to do with Charles Lawfer, the, the fact that you didn't feel protected uh, b- both uh, contractually and financially? Oh, absolutely. Um, and and I, don't hold, I don't hold a grudge against him because it would never have happened without Charles Lawfer. Um, however, we signed a contract uh, that was pretty, pretty tight. And they said, you know, you're being represented by such and such attorney. And it turns out that the such and such attorney was also Charles Loft's attorney. So there was, there wasn't that check valve to protect us. Tony, were you crushed? You know, for, I have to say, honestly, for a long time there, I, I was lost. Um, you go from everybody wants a piece of you, everybody loves you, um, you have girls waiting at, the, at your driveway when the gate is closed and they're screaming your name, and then, you know, you literally can't get arrested. You're like, whoa, and talk about a fast transition. You're like, what has happened here? So I did attempt to to reconnect my career, but I, I, you know, I quit on it because I didn't want to be chasing something that, that was just making me feel worse 
day, you know, by the day. And so I just moved on in life. I started working behind the scenes in the music industry. And let's talk about that, because you did a great job behind the scenes as well. It may not have been exactly what you had envisioned for your future, but what did you do behind the right. scenes, and for how long? For, for quite some time, I would say, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I've worked behind the scenes um, coordinating uh, for international record companies coming to the Los Angeles area that wanted to, so I would arrange the studio, the recording studios, the musicians, the arrangers, whatever needed to be taken care of because I, I knew all the inside track. And so they would then submit the budget and I would make sure everything was taken care of. And then I also, uh, at one point, worked on the movie What's Love Got to Do With It as the music coordinator. And that was fun to meet Tina Turner and work behind the scenes with her. Did you ever dispense advice to other musicians, you were behind the scenes now, about what it was going to be like or could be like, the highs and the lows of the music industry? Uh, yeah, so there was sometimes I was in the studio with new artists that unfortunately thought they were all that and something. And I, you know, politely told them and I said, listen, you've got a long way to go. You think you've made it because you have a record deal? Having a record deal is nothing. You have to have a hit record to become something. And then you better be prepared because most artists don't get past one hit, possibly two hits. And some of them were fantastic. They appreciated the advice. Uh, and others, you know, I've never heard from them again. And that's, that's the, the entertainment industry. It'll chew people up and spit them out, and that is it. And through that period, because it was an adjustment for you from fame to behind the scenes, did you stay close with your family? Was everybody kind of living nearby and able to help each other stay strong through this? Yeah, we all still to this day live in the you know extended Los Angeles area. Um, we see each other as often as we can. And at that, yeah, at that time, everybody was trying to find their, their way in life yeah. and um, transition to whatever jobs they got into and whatever fields they got into. And, but we were always there for each other and still are. I love that you took a big leap of faith and found your calling. You are one of the best realtors I'm hearing in North America, most, most definitely in California. You're with Sotheby's. How did you take that leap and, and that step? How did that happen? So it's interesting because when I was younger, I think I was 21, 22 years old, I was, again, searching for what I was going to do next. And so one of the things that I did was I got my real estate license, but I really didn't use it at that time. So later in life, when I got tired of dealing with the people in the music industry and the music industry was falling apart, it was the budgets were getting smaller. People were doing all these home recording studios cheaply made. So I decided and I stopped wanting to work with people that I couldn't trust. And I said, well, look, here's what I can do. I'm just going to believe in myself, go full on into the real estate business. When I set appointments, I'm going to make it. I'm not depending on anybody but myself. The income streams as high as you want it to be. And uh, I took off quickly. Within six months, I was doing some great deals. So it's been good to me. 
what is it about being a realtor that you find satisfying? Is there anything that parallels what you experienced as a teen heartthrob at all? <laughs> Whoa. Uh, yeah, no. no. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no comparison. What I do like about it is I, I'm in charge of myself. I work, meet a lot of great people over the years. Some of them I've become lifelong friends with. And I'm a little bit different than, I guess, a lot of agents that they just focus on a community or a neighborhood. I, you know, I go all the way from Malibu, which is about 15, 20 minutes from my, my office and my home. <clears throat> and I go inland into some of the farm areas. So I have a 20-acre ranch, this incredible property there. So every day I wake up, I don't know where, where the day is going to take me. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love meeting new people and I love seeing new properties and um, helping them to the next step in their lives. You know, there's an expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What about your little apples, your children, your kids? Are they following in your footsteps, whether it's the musical footsteps or the real estate footsteps? (laughs) No, you know, they they have it. I tried to get my son to sing, because, you know, all the guitar lessons and everything. And he's a good guitar player, and then... But he's so shy, he wouldn't sing. And then one day I heard him sing, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's spot on, too. And I said, do it. You need to do this. He's like, no, you're an extrovert dad. You're good at that. And I'm like, hey, I was shy when I was younger, too. But when it came came time to go on stage, you just flipped the switch, and you turned it on. And he said, no. So to this day, even with real estate, I said, why don't you get your real estate lessons? He goes, no, I like being behind the scenes. So he didn't do it. My daughter's say they can't sing, which I haven't verified. And no, nobody followed me. Sad, sad to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it sounds like you've got everything all together. And, you know, we look back as you have talked to us about your really incredible career. It was short, but it was spectacular. And you met so many famous people and they met you. Would you be comfortable right now if we just listen to one of your hit songs? And I just want to get your thoughts on it. So here's Abracadabra, Tony DeFranco and the DeFranco family. Boy, does that bring back memories for me. How about for you, Tony? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, I hear my voice slightly changing at that point because accelerated, you know, maybe a year after that and and dropped. But I hear that song. I remember some of the dance moves. (laughs) I can't do it, probably. But yeah, um, exciting times. And we're going to, as we say goodbye, we're going to play another one of your songs. And it was a bit of a departure for you, Save the Last Dance for Me. I'm so happy that you saved this moment, this half hour for us in conversation. What a thrill to get to know you a little better. Tony DeFranco, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.